What's up guys, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am coming to you today, episode 130, and um, what I want to do is talk about the housing crisis. And um, it's becoming particularly acute now with mortgages rising and things like that. And so I'm going to go into it. And there's an awful lot of talk about recession. And so a lot of people are looking at the market and kind of thinking to themselves, well, it might be a good thing because at least that means that the prices of properties will go down and things like that. That's where I'm going to explore today because it's hard to say. It's not uh, as straightforward as that. I think the housing crisis is actually going to get a lot worse, and um, but maybe not affecting prices as badly as it has done in the past for various reasons. I'm going to cover that now. Now, this is obviously all just my opinion, um, but it is just what I'm seeing in the market. And so I'm going to go into that now today. Before I do, just want to quickly remind you guys that I have a weekly live stream that I'm doing now. It's called the Property Investor Roundtable. And uh, you guessed it, I talk about property on it and uh, property investment. And typically I'm going to start out with the news headlines. I'm going to cover what's going on in news and events, whether it's property news or whether it's just economic news that I believe is going to impact the market. And then I open it up to questions. And I've been, uh, I got quite a lot of questions the last day, so it was pretty useful. And this is taking place every Wednesday now at one o'clock. So I guess you could call it a lunch and learn. It's at one o'clock Dublin time. If you're, if you're listening in from the US, I know there is some of the, you guys listening in from the US. That's 8 a.m. Eastern time, uh, which I guess would be a real estate briefing, a breakfast briefing or something like that. Property lunch and learn here in Ireland and the UK, a real estate breakfast briefing if you're in the US. So please do join me. That is over on my personal YouTube channel. That is Gavin J. Gallagher on real estate. And I'm also doing it uh, simultaneously at the same time over on my TikTok profile. So check in one or the other, whichever suits you. Right, so let's get into the housing crisis is about to get a lot worse. That's my sort of headline it's a strong headline and why am i sort of using that today well with the current financial crisis obviously there's some people out there breathing a bit of a sigh of relief saying oh, we're going to have some great prices coming up and i do think it will be a buying opportunity for people that are positioned well but it's it's difficult to say whether the general public is actually going to be able to take any benefit out of this and um some of the conclusions I'm going to have today are not going to be that popular with people who are listening in if they're just kind of like hoping to kind of get on the housing ladder. You see, at the moment, there is just this massive, massive squeeze on in the uh, industry and uh, residential developers right now, particularly those who are developing apartment buildings, um, a lot of this recession, uh, a lot of the interest rates and all of the various problems that they're going through, they're pushing a lot of projects to pass their break-even point. And so once a project goes beyond its break-even point, or even long before it gets to that point, the project is close to being uh, shelved because it is no longer financially viable. And there are so many components in the development process that you have to get right to be successful as a developer uh, for, or for a project to be a success, especially when it comes to apartment buildings because they're far more complicated 
and, uh, and large in scale and stuff. So I'm going to get into some of the detail right now. First of all, let's cover some of the components that the developer has got to get right in order to be uh, successful with this particular project. First of all, there is the supply and demand situation. Now, this is the one thing that we have going our way at the moment as an industry, and that is primarily um, due to the constraints of the 2008 housing crash, or housing crash, financial crash. When the 2008 financial crash came along, an awful lot of uh, property firms, construction firms, investors, they all went either bankrupt or they got into terrible financial difficulty. Now, um, the construction industry in particular was decimated. And when I say decimated, literally, it was much worse than decimate. Like the, the actual term decimate comes from the old uh, Roman Empire times and they would go in if there was trouble in a you know one of their foreign sort of uh, outposts they would go in and they would kill one out of every 10 people in that entire town and um, and that's how they would punish people and so that's where the term decimate came from from the decimal uh, or from from deca which is 10 now in the 5 years uh, of the from 2007 to 2012, and I'm, I'm covering the Irish construction industry here. I'm not sure what the UK would have looked like in comparison to the US or whatever, but let's just focus for a moment on the Irish construction industry. They suffered a massive, massive contraction. And basically one in every two construction workers lost their jobs during those five years. So consider decimate is one in 10. This was one in two jobs lost in the construction industry over that five-year period. And what do people do when they lose their jobs? Well, some people, a small minority, will go on the dole and will become long-term unemployed and they'll stay long-term unemployed. But for a lot of people, that's just not an option. It's not an option either psychologically or just they've got too many obligations or whatever it might be. And so they left and they went. A lot of people went to Canada. A lot of people went to Australia. So the industry basically just shrank and shriveled up completely uh, because of the numbers of people that left the industry. They went to get other jobs in other industries. They left to just literally leave the country. And so the um, even today, more than 15 years on, we are nowhere near the level of capacity that we were back in 2007. And that's something to say, considering all of the years that we've had to kind of recover and that we, this boom that we've had in the last number of years, we simply cannot get the people back into the country. And when we do try to get people back into the country, uh, like construction workers and stuff, we cannot find them accommodation because of the, the accommodation issue, because of the housing crisis, it's a double whammy. We're kind of getting hit on all ends. You cannot get construction workers in because there's no place to house them. And that is a major, major issue at the moment. Now, with the construction industry massively contracted, um, production and output has fallen dramatically. We Back in 2007, we did 90,000 units in that year. Um, at the moment, we're doing 30,000 units. And even if we wanted to just break even and kind of like meet the demand that's there at the moment, we would need to hit 50,000 a year. We're not even coming near that. And just to actually, that's just to break even and to meet current demand, but we've got years of backlog as well. So you can see where the difficulty is. 
Now, even if the money was there, and the money is here, like it has been for the last number of years, we just can't get the construction workers in. So this problem has now been persistent for about 15 years. And so naturally the supply is just absolutely atrocious. And because of the that, and then on top of that, just to make matters worse, 2008 was bad enough, but then along comes the pandemic in 2020. And the industry was shut down for months and months at a time when we were all in these lockdowns. And so, so many projects got shelved and those projects had to wait until everyone was back to work and construction was allowed to commence. And so naturally enough, that has also had a knock-on impact. Um, so supply is terrible. Because of that, demand is absolutely acute. And population demographics in Ireland already are one of the strongest in Europe. We have by far a larger population growth than we do in any other country. In addition to that, immigration is very, very strong in Ireland. We have something like 90,000 people coming into the country, only 30,000 going out. So our net uh, figure is about 60,000 positive. But 60,000 positive is not 60,000 houses needed, it's 90,000 houses needed because the 30,000 that are leaving are often students and people that didn't have a home anyway. In addition to that, we've got this imbalance across the country with cities that are attracting the vast majority of the population. So you're trying to have a construction industry across the entire country. It doesn't work because everyone wants to live in either Dublin or Cork or Galway. And so all of the houses are being sort of concentrated around there. So it's doubling up across the board supply massively problems can't get the output demand huge demand and can't even deliver enough houses to bring the construction workers back and so we're kind of stuck in this kind of area but that's where the that's that's what's been going well for us as an industry supply and demand issues means prices are strong demand is strong and that has been kind of saving us all for quite a few years now we have a bit of a problem with construction industries or construction costs i should say these costs have gone through the roof in the last um, number of in the last two years in particular the pandemic has obviously created a lot of these problems we have supply chain delays that have been impacted by uh, the uh, pandemic the you know china the closing down of the shipping routes the closing down of ports all of that stuff that has created this big backlog. And now that um, the thing is going again, the whole world is kind of, it's, it's trying to catch up with the current supply chain issues. Now, in addition to that, we have sh labor shortages. And that was already a problem before for the, for the reasons I mentioned earlier, but the pandemic made it even worse. With all those projects put on hold, when those projects came back, that they all came back at the same time. So projects that would have been spread out over a couple of months and you know, contractors would have moved from one job onto another, all of a sudden everyone wants them all at the same time. Naturally, that pushes up prices. And so individuals, uh, supply, you know, um, subcontractors, all that, they're all feeling that they have the opportunity now to go and push up their price because they're in demand on for five different jobs at the same time. And so naturally we've seen a massive rise in construction costs. Well, I've actually seen, uh, we are looking at as much as 18 to 25% of an increase in construction costs, and that is massive. But then in addition to that, we now have funding costs going up. 
and interest rates, because of the inflation issue around the world, America's interest rates are going up, the UK's interest rates are shooting up, uh, Europe is now going up massively as well. It's happening all over the world. And so interest rates are being pushed up. We, uh, here in Ireland anyway, we have no control over it because the ECB controls our rates. So we're going to be we're going to have to take whatever um, rates that the ECB decides to give us. And the forecast is they're going to continue to grow. And inflation is a problem in all these different major powers. You've got Germany, Spain, um, Italy, France. They're all suffering um, with huge inflation issues at the moment, like 9% and stuff. And as we've seen in America, now they've really moved very, very quickly to take control of this. And it just recently the figures came in and they were higher than they expected. They were hotter than expected. And so that has made everyone go, oh crap, this is really bad. So now they're going to have to go again. Every time the US dollar increases in value because of interest rates, the rest of the world has to pay attention because we pay for fuel based on dollar rates. And so when we're buying fuel at a dollar rate, we now have to pay a higher price for it than because it's rate, you know, the, the price of the dollar has just gone up. So probably the rates in Euro will also creep up. So there's this huge squeeze. You've got the squeeze coming from construction costs, pushing down on the profitability of the project. And now you have funding costs pushing up on the profitability of the project. So the developer, whereas before he had a nice comfortable margin, it's getting squeezed, 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 and it's really starting to become a problem. And when you get into apartment building, okay, there's, there's, when you're a residential developer, you're either doing apartments or you're doing houses, or you can do both. But generally, one will specialize. And um, apartment buildings, the big problem with apartment buildings is that you've got an awful lot more to borrow because unlike housing where you can phase, you know, so many houses at the front of the project and then when they've been sold, you go and move to the next phase and you build those and then you move to the next phase after those are sold. So you can kind of keep a lid on your maximum borrowing and you might build 50 or 100 units, um, but your maximum at any one time might be, you know, 10 million of borrowing or something like that. With an apartment building of say 100 units, you might be looking at 30 to 40 million construction cost and that needs to be borrowed all at the same time in order to deliver the entire building as one unit and so that is where the major cost is with apartments and when you're not able to phase it like that it means that you have to borrow the full amount now this could be as I'm now I just mentioned some figures there but like 10 million 20 million with a big big apartment scheme you could be looking at 50 million and so imagine what the difference in funding costs has been. Whereas you started when you bought the land, you know, two years ago, and you went in for planning permission with your design team, you would have assumed that, okay, funding is, you know, pretty much at zero at the moment. So let's assume that as we, we do our numbers. Now, all of a sudden, you're coming on site and your construction figures have gone up by about 25% and your funding costs are significantly higher. You can see where the problem is. And a lot of projects, that would have been, you know, looking profitable back two years ago are suddenly looking marginal. Maybe we, maybe we should just park this project. And I have friends, certainly I have uh, one particular friend down in Cork who is um, telling me that he's seen a number of his projects shelved. He, he's a, uh, a supplier and a lot of his clients have actually shelved their work. 
So the cost of delivery for many schemes is turning unviable. Uh, but it's actually worse than that because if we go into the, into the detail further, the cost of delivery of apartment buildings, they have the issues of construction, which I've mentioned. They also have planning delays. There's densities, there's rules res restrictions, there's building regulations and there's standards. Now I've seen, I've looked at building apartments recently and when you're getting into that, there's all these rules around the orientation of the apartment and how many apartments you can have in a block and how many are for sale and how many are for rent. It's so restrictive that you know, you're, you're faced with quite a difficult choices to make. And um, so a lot of apartments basically just would not get built. Uh, they just weren't making enough money. Uh, they would actually be, the cost of building them from all of those different reasons, the cost of building them would be more than they're actually worth when they're put on the market for sale. That is where PRS came to the rescue. Now, what is PRS? PRS is private rental schemes. And private rental schemes, this is basically where an apartment building is built and instead of it being sold off individually to in individual owners, it is sold off in one lot to a big fund. Now, these funds are quite unpopular in the public opinion because they've even got given them the name cuckoo funds and stuff like that. And they are seen as unpopular because they're, they're, they're being seen as taking first-time buyers' opportunities to get in on the housing ladder away from them. Um, the reality is, is first-time buyers simply would not be um, in the market for these apartments because the apartments would never get built if first-time buyers were the end user because there's such an imbalance between the cost of delivery and the cost of purchase, um, between the amount that a first-time buyer can borrow with the, uh, with the central bank having all these rules around the borrowing limits based on their income ratios, all of that stuff. So it costs more to build an apartment than the market price for selling them individually. Um, you can make, now some of the big developers have actually been mentioning that when they look at buying big schemes, they actually expect the housing side of the scheme to compensate for the loss they'll make over on the apartment side of the scheme. And um, obviously the central bank rules don't help with first time buyers. However, the developers, when the PRS schemes came along, the developers were kind of saved because with interest rates so low, these big funds were really struggling to get their investment returns. And funds tend to be pension funds and they have got these long term obligations to pay out over years and years and years. And because of that, they have got to look for ways to make money on their capital that they have there. And typically they were getting that from government bonds. So they would buy so many government bonds and they'd have this big sort of cash flow from government bonds. But we've had zero interest rates for the last number of years. What's that done? That has pushed down bonds and the value of bonds. And the yields on bonds have been extremely low for a long time. Because of that, you have um, these big funds looking at you know almost zero coming through on their um, uh, from their from the value of their properties or of their bonds, and uh, they're making almost no income on them. So they would start to look at the property uh, opportunities, and they would buy a property, like say an apartment building in Germany. A German fund would buy a German property, uh, like a hundred, two hundred, three hundred apartments or whatever, and they would buy that at a yield of one point five, one point six percent. When they started looking at the Irish market, they went, whoa, this is fantastic value. We can buy the same type of building 
with the same type of owner and or the same type of occupier paying us a rent and we can buy it at three and a half maybe four percent and so all of a sudden this looks like a fantastic value compared to the german equivalent and by far compared to the bond equivalent so made huge sense for those funds to come into the irish market and start buying up and for the developer it was just it was fantastic because you had somebody coming along and what they would do is they would value the property based on the income from the rental and they would apply the yield that they're used to. So it wasn't based on so many units at this purchase price. It was based on the, the total income from the property is this and that's a multiplier. And because of that, they were paying an awful lot more. And it's kind of ironic, or is it ironic the correct word? But normally when somebody is buying something you know, at bulk, you would expect that they get a bulk discount. In this case, the funds were coming in and they were paying substantially more than the individuals, the collective value of all of the individuals buying. So they were paying much, much more which made it obviously very attractive for the developer to work with the big fund. We can sell it off, we can actually make a profit as opposed to making a loss, and we can have a forward purchase agreement from these big funds. Now that's perfect because you go to your bank and you say, there's no risk on this because I have a forward purchase agreement and it's a profitable agreement. It's, I'm selling the building at whatever, 30 million, and my costs of delivery are 20 million. So there's a 10 million profit maybe there. So the bank would obviously be more than happy to extend the 20 million of uh, borrowings out to the developer. Um, now, all of a sudden, you've got the big squeeze. So the developer has a fixed price contract that they're gonna sell the building at, and it might be 30 million, we'll say. Their costs were estimated to come in at 20 million. That was 20 million for construction and funding and all of your extra costs. Those have all now shot up by 25% perhaps. So suddenly you're looking at your, uh, your costs eating into this fixed price and suddenly your, the ability for you to keep that bit of profit is getting shrunk, shrunk, shrunk. And all of a sudden now we're in a situation where an awful lot of schemes are no longer, like they're getting very, very close to becoming uh, not profitable enough to be worth going ahead with. And to make matters worse then, the funds are now starting to look elsewhere. So we have construction costs rising, funding costs rising. This is eating into the profitability of your scheme. Your job was simply to deliver the scheme at a price. You had to carry the risk um, on that uh, construction delivery cost. And so um, with interest rates now increasing, bonds have started to get more attractive. And so these big funds are now pulling out of the market. Uh, rather than pull out of the market directly, they've been coming back to developers and they've been saying, look, this is no longer as attractive. We need to renegotiate the, um, the purchase price. And so the developers are being asked to reduce the amount that they will take when, they, when the building is complete. But of course, the developers are facing the fact that interest rates have gone up, construction has gone up, I'm being squeezed, I can't afford to give you a little bit more or a, little, you know, a bit of a chip or a discount um, on the sale. So suddenly you're into this situation where everything is chipping away at the profitability of the schemes. And so now you're in a situation where what is the alternative? There are no alternatives because first time buyers, um, they're out there and they're faced with 
the cost of living crisis that's going on. So they're filling their car, more expensive. Heating their home, more expensive. Buying groceries, more expensive. Now they're looking at mortgages going up as well. So individual buyers are in a similar squeeze to the developers, and they're not going to be able to buy these same apartments. So you have this, even if the apartments weren't costing more to deliver than the purchase, the purchaser would be prepared to pay based on market prices, they now couldn't do it anyway. So what's next? It's a major, major problem for the industry. If all of the apartment schemes get shelved, um, that's going to put an end to all of the government's kind of estimates that there's going to be thousands of new homes delivered into the market. Uh, this would normally mean that prices are going to get pushed up, but because of this growing affordability cap, we are now starting to wonder what's going to happen. Now, there's an old, a funny old description of, they used to sort of describe Freddie Mercury, the, 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 head, the lead singer from Queen, they used to talk about his lifestyle as burning the candle at both ends and in the middle. And the industry is currently being crushed at both ends. And where's the damage being done in the middle? Well, that's the way we are being taxed. And as an industry, here in Ireland certainly, if you were a private landlord, you were being hammered by the taxman at the moment. And the recent budget that came out was not friendly to us in any shape or form. We pay tax on everything. We cannot even offset the mortgage costs when we are paying interest, uh, when we are paying our taxes. And so all of these extra costs, you can imagine a lot of people are starting to pull out of the market and that is what we've seen. So the ironic, annoying thing from my point of view, from, from the industry's point of view, is that if you're a billion dollar fund, if you're registered in the Cayman Islands, you don't have to pay any tax. You can come in here, you can spend your money, you can make all your profits and you can siphon every single penny of it legally out of the country back to Cayman Islands or wherever you have your fund. And meanwhile, they'll go and tax all of the uh, Irish investors and developers and things like that. And, uh, and now the guys are going to decide to pull out. So they've been enjoying the benefits of zero tax for all these years. And now just as soon as the market shifts, they've decided to pull out. So hope you found this one useful, guys. Hope to see you in the live stream Q&A on Wednesday. Speak to you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you enjoyed that episode or if you found it useful in any way, please take a moment to leave a, a review over on iTunes if you're listening in on the podcast. If you're listening or you're watching in on the YouTube channel, then maybe you can leave us a like. And uh, if you can't do any of those things, maybe just share the episode out with somebody you think would find it useful. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover, uh, send me a message through the Facebook community. It's probably the best one to go for. That is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you'll find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. And uh, as you would expect, I have a website that has the same name, GavinJGallagher.com. If you go in there, you can join the email list. You can add yourself in there and you can find out what's going on on the various projects that I am working on. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed this one. Speak to you again next week.